you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. So Steve, tell, tell a little bit about the walk of music. This is your walk in music uh, when you work out? Yeah, well, it's kind of like we were, you know, it's like, what is the, you know, suitable for work walk in music, number one? You know, I was just say like anything Dre and Snoop Dogg, if you put it on, like I can't help but kind of slouch in my chair and just start <laughs> bouncing. I just can't like, but, you know, anything ACDC I think is awesome. I mean, it's just like that's, that's my running music. I, I put that in if I'm lacking motivation and I'll, I'll just start going. So I love it. I love it. And this morning we played the, the Dre, still Dre from Snoop Dogg and, mm-hmm. uh, and Dre, the Dr. Dre. So that was cool. So for those who don't know, uh, Steve is the new CEO of iSIMS. I think it's been almost just about four months or so since you, you kind of took on that role. And prior to that, you're the CEO of Marketo, which... I know from my days at Parlot and then moving into Terminus, and we met uh, a couple of years ago um, in Colorado. That was uh, that was really fun. As I think, as you were redecorating or moving to a new office yep. in, um, over there, and we were just chatting about like, well, moving from that organization, and you took that within two years. You sold Marketo to Adobe for $4.7 billion. That was about 3x returns on investors. And that was probably the high of the bull market, if, if you will, as well. And now you come in into like four months into this whole new space. And we're going to talk about how this new space is very similar, but whole new space of people, what is about attracting, engaging, and hiring new people and new talent, which is very near a lot of people's hearts right now more than ever. So... Uh, first of all, Steve, thanks for joining, and I would love for you to share a little bit more about iSIMS and your, your new role. Yeah, well, Sagar, it's great to just spend time with you. And I, by the way, I've always, I, I love Sagar's wall in the background. It's like I'm super jealous because I've been staring for two months in a row since the lockdown at this nondescript picture. People have resorted now to just like texting me different faces and shapes they're seeing in the background. So if you let, you know, let me know what you see. Um, but yeah, this has been, so it's actually been um, just about three months at, at iSIMS. I know how to pick start dates because like I started and then kind of all hell broke loose from a, you know, pandemic standpoint. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, I, I just want to, you know, give a shout out to anyone and everyone that is uh, knows a frontline, you know, healthcare professional or people that are delivering packages or stocking shelves at grocery stores. I think we all, I think, have started to recalibrate who are the real heroes in the world. Yes. And, um, you know, for me, it's the people that get up every day and, uh, and uh, protect us. And, and um, I, I'm, I, I know you and I have talked about this, but I'm just nothing but gratitude. And there's a lot of people at iSIMS that are, uh, you know, that have spouses, partners, friends that are also frontline workers. And you just listen to their stories and what they're doing every day. And they're not getting paid extra yeah. to go and fight this fight. And that's what, you know, to me is kind of like uh, the most inspiring thing of all is people, they, they, they do it because they care. And to me, like, that's what matters, right? And, and when we think about, like, I hope as we exit this whole thing, and we will, 
exit this whole thing and things when we will be better uh, because of it in the end is that if we learn anything, it's like, like we've got this shared level of humanity that I think, you know, is just really deeply felt by all of us right now. We should never forget that. And, um, and certainly ISIMS being in the business of people, that's, you know, what excited me about what we do. I have to say, there's these very eerie parallels because everybody's asking me like, Steve, what the heck? You were over here at Marketo kind of marketing and now you're in HR. ISIMS, interestingly enough, we are in the business of, of really empowering people organizations, HR, that kind of a thing to find, attract, engage, and ultimately hire the best talent in the world. Well, if that's not marketing, I don't know what is. <laughs> so last time I checked, so my, my job is to bring the power of engagement, which is what we talked about heavily at Marketo, okay. to people organizations, HR. And if you think about what ISIMS does, I mean, really what we do on attract, engage, and hire is we have this portfolio of technology that lets you um, find and attract the best talent through these, right. um, but also, so, you know, the reality is, I mean, how many times have we, all of us, like we said, oh, I got to hire somebody. I'm going to go out and spend untold hours, days, or months in my network or s- searching on LinkedIn and combing through my first, second network and going, yeah, that person looks really interesting, right? But you're always looking for the needle in the haystack. Well, our technology just finds you the needle. Yeah. That's what we do. And then the second thing that we do is we help companies engage with massive uh, workforces. So you probably heard a lot in the news around these big companies that are scaling up like, holy cow, we got to go hire 100,000 people to go you know, do X or 50,000 people to do Y. But a lot of people don't know is ISIM's technology, whether it's text or our recruitment marketing suite where you can build email campaigns and you know, uh, extended engagement arcs with people. Our technology is at the center of that, that big hiring pusher effort. And then we also offer, using kind of staying on the metaphor track, we have our hiring suite, which is basically CRM for HR. It lets me track candidates, extend offers. So instead of creating quotes and pushing it for sales, you're just doing that for people. So we're very much in the business of, you know, finding and and attracting and then ultimately hiring the best people in the business. And we do that for almost 5,000 companies worldwide. Yeah. Well, you, I also know that you, you, you have a really awesome marketing team because some of the marketing peeps were uh, Jordan and Casey, uh, shout out to you. They were there at our office about, about a couple of months ago. And I know that the level of sophistication in the organization is, is developing. So it's, it's fantastic. I'm curious, as you step into this role of like leadership at Marketo as a CEO and now CEO of ISIMS, Large organizations. I believe ISIMS has over a thousand people. I, I don't know what how many employees you had when you were at Marketo. Different times. How do you compare your role as a CEO, as a leader at that time versus now? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are some trappings of it that are the same, and some that are different. I mean, the reality is, you know, one thing I've discovered is that. No matter how many times you're a CEO, no matter how many companies you are, you're always learning. Yep. And the second thing I've learned is, you know, that the things that we can't imagine inevitably occur. Yeah. And those are, you know, good, bad, right? It, no one 
every CEO I talked to, there's nobody that was sitting there on January the 1st going, you know, there's going to be a global pandemic and, and hey, travel, you know, the airline bookings are going to go down by 90% in the next 60 days. No, no one. There's anyone that says they had, you know, that they knew this was coming They're They're just making it up. Like no one knew that was going to happen. And you're seeing companies that, that never in their wildest imagination were they doing contingency planning for, you know what, what if 95% of our business goes away in 30 days? Like this is not a contingency plan any of us thought would be like, yeah, let's do that, right? You would have gotten laughed out of the boardroom if you said, I have a contingency plan for this. Yet here we are. And I'm not saying, certainly at iSIMS, we've been very fortunate in that because companies are looking for uh, precision hiring, engaging with their existing employee base at much deeper levels, we've actually uh, been very fortunate to see our business be fairly stable through this challenge time. But ultimately, I I think the one word that comes to mind more than anything else is empathy, 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 and more empathy. Because while, you know, your business or mine may be, you know, having a, a modest level of impact, we have to understand that the number of people that are profoundly impacted right now is staggering. These are like, you know, numbers that in many respects, and I don't think we fully appreciated it because we're pumping like literally $6 trillion now and over the coming months into our economy. And that kind of masks what's really happening to the, the, the human, the person, the individual. There have been so many people impacted and we have no frame of reference for this. Nobody does. There is no playbook for this. And if somebody says they have a playbook, they don't. And because you can't say, well, you know, and I've heard people say, this is like September 11th plus the, you know, uh, mortgage crisis. But no, yeah. uh, this is nothing like that. There, this is a global pandemic and a, you know, and, and a health crisis that is changing daily and, you know, coupled with economic conditions that are very unclear right now. It's very uneven terrain. And the stock market is definitely not the economy. Right. And we need to be very careful with that. So I, I feel like I, you know, I, I think as a CEO, what I'm doing is kind of I'm, I'm thinking at the individual level, you know, and, and how, how what is this person going through in their house, in their community, in their company? in their, you know, uh, you know, kind of uh, sector or industry, and then the economy. And I think you have to think at that concentric level and then zoom out and, and, uh, and do that at an individual level to develop empathy. And I think the playbook right now um, for me, if it's anything, is empathy, help, and hope. And then making sure that we are driving a strategy that creates stability and security for our employees and our customers. That that is that is it, it echoes so much um, with what a few weeks ago I had Patrick Lencioni um, on this, uh, who you might have known. He, he wrote the five dysfunctions of a team and some of the really really good books. And that topic is now more important now than than ever before as you start building team. And he was talking about like the number one thing he is advising a lot of CEOs and founders is just try to be exceedingly human. Yeah, you got to be human. And I will say it's human and you have to be optimistic. And some people, I found that optimism can land poorly with some people because I think it can come across as insensitive or uh, you're lacking empathy. 
But the reality right now is that we, we need to be realistic, no doubt, and empathetic, no doubt. But we also have to remain optimistic because as a look, as a as as communities go, as a country goes, as a as a global, you know, community in general, like we're gonna get we're gonna get past this. Yeah. And there are a lot of people suffering right now, and we need to be sensitive to that. But we also have to to remain um, you know, kind of focused on the the the, the long term as well. And we're gonna be okay. We are gonna be okay. And that's what people want to hear. And, 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 you know, modulating your optimism is something that even, you know, I, I, I just tend to be a very optimistic person. And I, I have learned that modulating optimism to, to remain empathetic and sensitive to how other people interpret what's going on, it matters as well. It matters. I mean, I can see just from the comments and the likes over here, like that specific idea of stability um, and creating hope for people and the idea of being optimistic but calibrated in a realistic way so people realize that you're not just like, oh, everything is rosy. Well, it's not, but we are moving. We are going to get out. So I love what you said. One of the articles that you wrote um, at some point around what the lessons you have learned as a CEO, and I, I was just taking notes on it, and one of the things you wrote in that is that don't let reality get in the way of opportunity. That's right. And, and when I read that, I, I wrote it down I, in my, as, like, as, a, as a something that I feel I constantly get in my own way of, of moving forward. And, and sometimes I have to just rethink it. So this idea of don't let reality get in the way of opportunity. Could you just double click on that? What do you mean by that? And, and, and also maybe relating it to just today as people are thinking about it. Well, I think that, you know, we... Um... It's fascinating for me because we spend, you know, so much time, you know, if you think about it, I mean, okay, I'm 47. So I I have more adulthood in me than I do childhood in me. But, you know, as we grow up as kids, we're encouraged to, you know, kind of let our imaginations run free. That's that's what we tell our kids, right, is use your imagination. Somewhere along the line, when we become adults, we're told don't do that. And, you know, you, you should, well, totally operate in reality. And if we operated solely in reality and what's presented to us, I think that the world would be a substantially less interesting place. And what I love is I I think I, you know, more than anything is just reconnecting personally with my own imagination, you know, because you get like, even as a CEO or leaders, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, for for you and, and clearly you having an imagination to bring terminus to life is inspiring to me, right? But all too often we can get mired down in our in our day to day. And especially right now, it's hard. I get it. You can't turn on the news and like and and just not be super depressed. Like it's hard. And so and and um and I think that just stepping back and even thinking about things like one thing I think a lot about is okay, well this is not the first time the world has faced some type of crisis, right? And then there's a subsequent economic challenge that follows, whether that's the you know stock market in 87. And I'm not, by the way, I am not comparing any of these to the level of where we are, but there's always this cycle. We live in cycles where there's a challenge and then and there's disruption to society, but then there's change that follows. And if you look at waves of computing, right, we had client server introduced as an answer to 
you know, some of the economic crises that happened in the past. Then we had, you know, the dot-com burst and bubble. What happened? Well, we, we, we have these, right? And that was a disruption. And then we had the mortgage crisis. And what came? Well, people shed client server and said, kind of this cloud thing's a really good idea. Maybe we should follow that way. And I like, I'm inspired because I think about, not about what's happening with the challenge, but what happens next? Yeah. And if you think about what happens next, look at what we're doing right now. The truth is, you know, we talk about this concept of digital natives, right? We have, oh, well, there's these, there's these really young people that were born with a phone in their hands and they're the smart ones and everybody else is kind of like bumping into walls. The reality is right now, whether by birth or adoption, we are all digital natives now. Because the only way we're getting anything done is like this. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I, it doesn't mean that I'm not optimistic that we won't reopen offices and, and, and all of that. That will happen. It will come in time. But I love the fact that our noses have been rubbed in the, to the need for digital transformation. Think about world leaders, right? Yeah. How many of them were doing chat and Zooms prior to this? Like nobody. And now the, that's the only way they can run their, their countries. And for a lot of CEOs that didn't grow up, especially, you know, kind of, you know, not to get generational on everybody, but boomers for a minute, right? This is not their normal operating mode. Yep. It's now. And so I, I just get really excited about the notion of like collaboration as not a product or a tool, but as a platform and just a way of doing things. And I think that we've all realized as hard as we're working, and we are working really hard right now, we all are, is that we're actually getting a lot done. Yeah. And so just, I'm excited about what innovation, what disruption is going to come after this. You know, we obviously need to get through this and, and do so, um, you know, saving as many lives as we can and protecting our employees and our people and our citizens. But um, I, I do think it's time to unleash our imaginations as well. I love that point. I made a note about this. Literally um, before March, uh, I think it was, yeah, it's probably in February. I had a conversation with a CEO and uh, they said, there is no way we are a remote company. There's just no way. And this, they, nobody knew this was going to happen and they're going to go remote. They're like, we have too much of a culture where we need to be in, in the four walls in order to breathe and live it. Without that, we won't exist. It's so true. I will just tell you that, you know, what I've learned from all of this so far is when the unthinkable happens and it has happened, it is unthinkable things that also fall. I love that. I love that. Do you, do you feel as an organization, as your team, have you gone closer or do you feel as you have you gone like further apart? Well, it's a little bit of both. I think that uh, in some ways, the, the, I think that what is clear is the speed of interaction has, has picked up dramatically. We've skipped over the bagels at meetings and the flying places and the, you know, so just the, the speed and, and, and uh, clock speed and cadence feels like 10 times where we were. Yeah. That being said, I think, you know, you can't erase you know, millions of years of, of human evolution of, you know, like just 200,000 years ago, not even that, or 100,000 years ago, or we, depending on your time frame and your point of view on what we were doing, you know, we were sitting around campfires, you know, and scratching, you know, art on cave walls. And you can't erase that evolution and say, right, that need for human connectivity and interaction and touch 
Yeah, that's stupid. We don't need that anymore. I think we all miss that. And I miss that. I miss the um, just, you know, the, the warmth of people's presence. I miss that. And, uh, and, and some of that you, you just can't replace digitally. Uh, so I think in some ways we've accelerated and become more efficient. But, you know, we also got to figure out if we're all working from home, like, hey, the, the, this, uh, this significantly interferes with people's work-life balance in a new way. And, uh, and how are we going to balance that? And I'm not talking about like the cat crossing the screen on a Zoom call. I'm talking about like, you know, we've got working parents and, you know, it's really hard for them to balance that. And it's, you know, and, and school. And, and I mean, I, I think about the, the mom or the dad that has like all at the same time, they're working from home. They have to teach their kids from home yep. and they still have to run the family from home. Right. There's all those things. And at the same time, run the dishwasher like nine times a day. I've never run it that, you know, it's like, what is going on here? So that, that has to, there's got to be some slack in the system. One thing we introduced at iSIMS is this concept of quiet time. So for 90 minutes in the afternoon, we don't allow meetings to be booked. And so from 1230 Eastern to two, there's no meeting. And I'm cognizant of the fact that that's not perfect. But we just have to give people time back. And my counsel to the to the ISIMS organization was take that time, like go on a walk with your kids. It's sunny yeah. outside. Do take that moment because I look back on, you know, my kids are older now and uh, they're adults, 23 and 21. And, you know, there there were so many moments that uh, that I did capture that were very special for me. And I, I don't want moms and dads and whoever it is to, to miss those. But, you know, you've got elder care and other things going on, too. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm so with you. So I got a nine-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. And the way I keep up with the age of my daughter is, uh, you know, Terminus was co-founded five years ago when she was like four weeks. So, so the same age. And one thing I've realized more than ever is if I take and spend an hour with them in the morning, like dedicated, like and it could be even 40, 45 minutes dedicated, having breakfast or just going in the backyard, whatever it is. They are totally good for the next three hours doing whatever they need to do by themselves. Then I need to go back and, and, and spend another 30 to an hour time with them. And then they're fine for the next four hours. So instead of morning and evening, like, hey, I'm busy from nine to five, it's breaking it up. So I really love your 90 minute quiet time. Um, and I can see people love it too. Is we, I mean, that's something that I'm going to take and, and talk to my organization. What else, what else have, have you done for yourself and your organization that might be interesting for people to hear in just a way they operate right now? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we're, it's, there, there's, this is a very serious thing, this battle of, of being, battle with being overworked. Yeah. And there's no one, there's no magic wand, right? A 90 minute thing. The reality is I'm also cognizant of there's this envelope of work and it's this size and you say, oh, well, let's have 90 minutes in the afternoon. So then people may be working later, right? I understand that that envelope of work, the size of it doesn't change. So for me, I'm very much working on, especially kind of being new to the company, I have this simple practice of start, stop, continue. And, and actually more better said, stop, start, continue. And really focusing on, and I, I think that we can do a better job of it at ISIMS. We're just kind of getting into it now is, okay, there's all this stuff going on. Like, Let's, let's build a list, and we did this as an executive team, and I've actually done it with a number of other management teams at ISIMS as well, is what are we stopping? Like, what's the stuff that's just not freaking important right now? 
And it may have seemed really important 60 days ago, but not flipping important now. And I think this whole pandemic situation has really framed well for all of us what's actually important. And mm-hmm. I think we need to apply that at work as well. And, and I think it's, you know, something that it's a very simple exercise is just talk to your teams around what are we stopping? What are we starting? What are we continuing? And hopefully the list for what are we stopping is long. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe a short list of what we want to start because we don't want to pile on too much and then a strong, healthy list of continue. And that also gives you a good sense for your business. But as, as leaders, like we've got to make some calls on shrinking the, the, the size of the envelope. Otherwise, all we're doing is pushing work around to later times in the evening or whatever it may be. And yeah. I'm cognizant of the fact that also there are a lot of companies that are shrinking the size of their workforce. And that's it's, it's, it's sad that that has to happen as a result of economic impact. And I'm very sensitive to that. And, um, and again, it's, you know, it's a, we, we all need to be cognizant of no company is immune to that. Yeah. No one is immune to that. So then if you have to reduce the size of your workforce to adjust for, you know, economic impact, and, and you still need to be hypersensitive to the needs of, of those people as well, but you, you, that, that size of the envelope, if it stays the same, this, this just compounds the stress that you pile on your team. And you have to be really sensitive to that. And I, I'm just kind of you know, trying my best, and I think so as a leadership team, on how do we find ways to lighten that burden and lighten that load? Because not everything that you thought was light, life you know, changing and super important 60 days ago is really not that important. You, yeah, we will all be so surprised around that. And, and here's a question that, that's coming in for you where, and I love to start, stop, continue. I did that at some point ago and I, I think I just stopped doing it. So that's why I stopped. I need to kind of go back to it. Yeah, you have the list on your list. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is really important. The question that's coming in is, is around the idea of why, well, around priorities specifically. So what are your top two priorities? And then there's a lot of marketers listening to it. And so for your CMO, what are the top two priorities for your CMO? Because that's changing as well. Well, I think we let's start with, uh, I'll, I'll start with the CMO because I think that my, you know, one of my two top priorities is serve my team. And so we'll, we'll focus on, on that. And um, I have always viewed that the CEO serves at the pleasure of the, 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 the organization, not the other way around. And that mindset is, you know, some people, I mean, obviously servant-based leadership kind of notions, but the reality is, is that, um, and, and by the way, servant-based leadership does not mean popularity contest. There's a difference. Hmm. Servant-based leadership also means, you know, sometimes making hard decisions that not everyone will like, but serve the best interests of the organization. And then the second thing for me is serving customers. I can't think of two more important things than that. The, uh, I, do, I will say that it's, it's a daily struggle for me to balance short and long-term view. And that's something that all of us have to struggle with. And, and, uh, and, um, and that, that struggle doesn't go away just because you become resolute on one thing or you take action on another. You, it, I have found that the, the eternal struggle of the CEO is balancing the short and long-term views dimensionally with serving employees and serving customers. And if I think about those dimensions, yeah. um, one framework I'll offer that, that has helped me is I have this kind of like, 
urgent and important quadrant yeah. um, or axes is like what's urgent and what's really important. And the stuff in the upper right-hand quadrant right now is what I'm focused on. So as you map your activities, do that. Um, so for the for the CMO, um, you know, she and I, first of all, I'm a super fan of Susan Batali. She is brilliant. Yeah. And um, has been at iSIMS for 16 years. Has seen the company go from, you know, gosh, I don't even know, sub 50 million, maybe 20, 30 million in revenue to nearly 300 million in revenue and growing you know, 25% plus year over year. So we're on this. Uh, I, I, I have the, uh, the good fortune of having a seat on this rocket ship that she helped create. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, gratitude that I can bring and loyalty. But also, I think, you know, I, I, uh, I do have an opinion on marketing. Um, so, uh, you, you know, one of the things that we talked a lot about was, hey, you know, there's undoubtedly going to be this kind of we'll call it pause in, you know, if you will, in terms of inbound customer interest, like we're all figuring out like, holy cow, we got to make sure our companies are okay. So I would suspect that for the balance of Q2, you know, we are, we might see a dip in our inbound inquiries. Right. If someone has not seen a dip in your inbound inquiries, please call me and tell me how you pulled that up. Let me know. But, um, you know, I, I think we all looked at that. And what we said was, hey, we've got a real opportunity here. So we said we're going to dial back our programmatic spend um, to a degree, and but we're not going to just sacrifice those dollars to the EBITDA gods. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to use those dollars to think about, well, how do we do some of the things that we always wanted to do, but just like we're running too fast to do? So a complete rebuild of our digital properties is, is happening right now, number one. Number two, re-envisioning and reimagining the entirety of our user conference as a virtual event going forward and also making it uh, more inclusive, uh, both in terms of the, 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 the personage of the people that, that we include um, and the messages that we deliver. I think one of the big things for me has been, you know, iSIMS, and I'm really proud of this, we, uh, you know, the, the company, and, and, and all credit goes to the founder, Colin, but he really focused on diversity and inclusion. And making sure that the face of our company represented and resembled the face of our customers. And that matters to me. And, and that spoke deeply to me as a, when I was a board member of iSIMS and now the CEO. And I think continuing that and reflecting it, but reimagining our user conference to be, and yes, I also worked in 10 times bigger. Why 10 times? I don't know, because as marketers out there, you know that every CEO wants everything to be 10 times bigger. I have no idea why. Um, we ju it just sounds good. So, um, so really reimagining our digital properties, reimagining our user conference as a digital event, because honestly, I don't think that this is going to go away from a big event concept anytime soon. So I think we need to be thinking there. And then also, how do we create successful customers through digital means vis-a-vis -vis engagement? So even our CMO, I've asked her to reimagine our online university, our content, how do, we, how do we do that? Because I think CMOs have this just beautiful concept of, and, and in, you know, of, of how do we engage with people digitally? And so there's something right about doing that. So that's one of our big priorities. And then the other big priority um, actually for us is leveraging our own data to help steer the company because we have access to what are 5,000 of the largest companies in the world doing with 
inbound applicants for jobs. Yeah. What jobs are they posting and where by industry and geo and what hires are they making? So we have this aggregate anonymized view of that data. It's actually been really freaking helpful for us. So uh, our CMO dialing into that, she's been able to kind of point our very valuable marketing dollars at which segments are going up, going down, by what, by when. And, and I will say, by the way, just to allude to uh, or hint at something, for the first time after eight weeks of seeing kind of this, yeah, we're seeing this. Nice. And uh, starting to see that across the board. And that's, that's not a trend yet, but two weeks of it yeah. is some very encouraging data points for us. I love that. I love to hear that. And I'm, I'm feeling and seeing the same in our micro moments around the company, around the numbers. And, and that helps from a macro perspective. All right. One, one um, Carly saying like Susan is a rock star CMO. So I'm assuming that she knows, she knows Susan. And I'm a freaking rock star. <laughs> that is awesome. And Tom, good to see you. Karen, good to see you. Roy, uh, and so many of you guys. Uh, one of the, the, the questions that came in earlier when I was asking, like, what questions I should ask was like, well, right now, as people are looking for jobs today, it's an entirely different market. As you are running one of the, the, the fastest growing high growth company that is around helping people, helping companies to attract, engage and hire great people and great talent and, and retain them. Is the way that people look for jobs different? And should they be doing things differently right now than they ever did before? Well, yeah. I mean, the short version, yeah, for sure. Like, again, the unthinkable has occurred. So we need to adapt to that. I will say that disruption does create opportunity. And if, like, like if I'm a graduate, a 2020 graduate, and I've got, so my son's a junior, not a senior. And all I keep hearing from him is, I'm really flipping happy I'm not graduating this year. That's what I keep hearing from him. Yeah. I will say that in the short term, this will be very disruptive. I think there are people that, you know, they went to school. It's like, holy cow, this is a tough job market. And I may have to go do something that I wasn't planning on doing in the interim. That's fair. Right now, it's about building networks. It's absolutely about building networks. The tools that we have today for the graduates of today to build their networks. Yeah. Um, it's really unprecedented. And I would say that the most important thing to do is, you know, I think a little bit, I, I can imagine the angst is pretty high right now. And so there's this notion of like, how do I find a job? Okay, I understand finding a job is going to be tough. I am confident, though, that the job market, you know, certainly by the end of 2020 will be um, relatively strong considering what we've gone through. And I am more than happy to share. We'll figure out how to do it. Uh, because we have the we, we we've been given permission from our customer base, the the ones that have opted in to share this macroeconomic again, it's an anonymized, but we can actually share insight by industry. Where are jobs being posted? We actually on uh, ISIM's website, there's a link where we are listing all customers that are hiring on our website and mm -hmm. linked into their job portals. You can go there now and find hundreds of companies, and we hope to expand that to thousands. But what I will say, the, the strongest counsel I can give to anyone graduating right now is build your network. And that starts with, yeah, I'll tell you what I've seen, some really, really smart, I don't want to say kids because it makes me sound like I'm super old. So I'll just say very smart young people in the market that have been 
when I make a post on LinkedIn, they're liking it. They're making a comment that's not lost on me. And then I, it's interesting because you can follow their, their trail. And then about three weeks later, I get an invitation to connect from that person. And I notice that. Yeah. I generally accept that connection because it's like, they're smart. Yeah. They, they, they did the deposit. Yeah, they did the deposit. Yeah, it is. Well, making these these deposits of, you know, these these uh, down payments on a relationship, even digitally, and you don't know that person, they pay off. So I'd say, uh, you know, follow that, you know, create a breadcrumb trail for whoever you're trying to connect with digitally and build your network. And I think in time, um, it will pay off and probably sooner than you expect. And like if, you know, is like it. it, it I am very, very confident that we're going to see strength in a lot of sectors. Um, it's just going to take us time to get through this very uneven terrain of, you know, COVID infection rates, you know, at a, at a state level and the, the pockets of flare-ups that we will undoubtedly see. But as we get through that, as we better understand this as a society, which we will, we've adapted and we will handle um, things, will, things will strengthen and, and uh, continue to do so with, with some interruption here and there. I agree. I agree with you. All right. So we're going to wrap up. Um, I took a whole bunch of notes on this thing when I wrote down. So I'm going to share maybe two or three takeaways. And Steve, as we wrap up, I'd love for you to share a challenge with everybody that they can take home, think about and do. So so number one for me, I really love the 90 minute quiet time. If your organization is not asking you to do that, as Steve is doing for his organization, fine for yourself. You need that 90 minute of time. Or maybe something that I'm trying to do is like creating that 90 minutes of time even with 30 minutes of real breaks because we all are working too long. As you said, it's hard. Number two, I love this, this exercise if, if I haven't done it in a long time about start, stop, and continue. So I'm thank you for the reminder. Go and list down today just what things you are starting new and why you need to do that. You better have a list that you're going to stop. Otherwise, you're going to get burnt out and, and, and not be able to do other things and then things that you want to continue. So that's a really, really big thing. And, and then the last of all, you started with this comment and I wrote down three times around this idea of having empathy, being realistic, and at the same time being optimistic. And if I, I want to like just summarize this whole conversation, what you provided me and hopefully to others uh, in here is that have the empathy that this is, that this is tough. Uh, be realistic that it's not over yet, but be optimistic for the future because if you don't bring hope as a leader, then you're going to have a tough time to getting out of all the other people that, that are depending on you to be a leader. So those are my big takeaways. Uh, and I love, Steve, for you to add anything to it and, and uh, share a challenge. Yeah, well, I think the, you know, the, the, the invitation and the challenge. So first of all, Sangram, thank you. This was great. And just enjoy the dialogue as always with you. And uh, also for your, you know, lean in and thought leadership. I think it's inspiring to people and, and like, this is how we do it, right? We just connect, we share, you know, a strong message of reality, empathy, and, and optimism. For me, it's like, what I will say right now, this is an extraordinary time because there is so much talent available in the market on the left hand. But a lot of us are probably thinking on the right hand, but, you know, we can't hire right now. That doesn't mean you can't engage with talent and find ways to stay engaged, keep that talent warm for that opportune moment. It doesn't mean that you can't um, find gigs for people to work on. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you're right. So maybe you can't hire somebody right now, but it doesn't mean that you can't engage on a particular project and have them do something discreet for your company, especially if they're talent that you want to employ in the future. So I would just encourage everybody to think about like, how do we plan to come out of this with by, by leveraging this amazing pool of talent that's out there and transforming our company for the future? So it's finding that talent and dreaming big around, hey, how do we bring that talent into our organization and be ready to strike when the time happens? And, uh, you know, in between now and then, I would just say, like, let's continue to care more for each other. That's the bottom line. I love it. Steve, thanks for doing this on a quick notice. Uh, Really inspired by this conversation. and, And thanks for bringing so much hope to the world. Thank you. Hey, same to you. Take care, everybody. All right. Bye bye, folks. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.